And today we begin a uh, Advent series that we've entitled The Mothers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about Rahab. And in the next couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Phil is going to talk to you about Tamar and Ruth. And Pastor Stewart's going to come and talk to you about Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then on Christmas Eve, I'll be speaking about Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. But the mothers of Jesus. As we read this, as I begin, I'll begin reading. And then we get to that second paragraph in the bold. Would you read that aloud with me? Then Joshua secretly sent out spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house. For they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. You need to know those bundles of flax were like really, really stinky. So this would be like being in the, in the, in the, in the pig's trough. This is why the, uh, the, the military guys didn't even go up and bother with that place. So the king's men went out looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. And before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings east of Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we find hope, and today we find grace in your word, in the life of Rahab, and most importantly, in your character and who you are. May it bring life and hope to us, we pray, as we honor your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Does anybody here have any interest in your lineage? Not your linens, not, not the stuff in the, in, the, in the bedroom closet, but in, your, in the people who have come before you. As I was uh, 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 preparing for this sermon, I decided to go on to Ancestry.com. Usually you do these things as you get older in life, don't you? you, know, you know, when you're young, when you're Emily's age, you don't care about you know, who the great, 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 great. But, you know, was, I, and I decided to go on Ancestry.com and look up Radwano. Now, Radwano is not a very uh, common name. I did find a few of my relatives. I have some in New England, but I have some in Italy, so I'm Facebook friends with them. But as I went on to Ancestry.com, I found a few things that I wanted to share with you that were just of interest to me. First, I found the card of my grandfather's entrance into this country 
in, in 1927, April the 4th, Antonio Radwano. My grandfather came with my grandmother. I never met my grandfather. He died at sea in about 1932 with some fishing vessels that he owned, went out during a hurricane, and he was lost at sea. But I did find when he first came into this country. Another thing that I found on Ancestry.com is I found a ship's log. This ship's log, which is uh, not going to be uh, visible to you, you're not going to be readable to you, was taken from the year 1938 or 1939, the 15th of June, 1939. And as you go about uh, 50% of the way down and you see in the center, you see some additional information. That's, a remind, that's uh, my dad, his brother, his sister, his stepbrother, and his stepsister, and my uh, grandmother and her, uh, her husband after that she had married when she had gone back to Italy. So they had gone back to, it, they had gone back to Italy, and, the, and uh, my dad was... Uh, a black shirt is a little seven, eight-year-old with Mussolini and then came back to the country. And that's, uh, as, I, as I looked at that log, I was uh, reminded, I, I finally found the date that they came back. I think they came in legally. I'm not sure how, how they came in. But uh, I was also reminded when I looked at the name that uh, my dad, not, not very often, but a couple of times, he told me about uh, his stepdad who was very abusive to my grandmother, his mother, and it would told me about the time when they were living in New York, and I guess just as, a, as maybe a 10, 11-year-old, that uh, as his stepdad was getting abusive with his mother, he, he went to the kitchen and took a knife and held his stepdad off. And you just hear some of those things, and you, those stories you just don't You're just like, boy, I, I wish maybe I didn't know that. Or, you know, I, 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 we'd all like to clean up our ancestry, wouldn't we? We'd all like it to be wonderful and find out that uh, we're royalty of some type. Then I found one more thing that I'm going to show you before I move on with, move off my show and tell. That was the boat, the ship my dad came over on. This, uh, the first time he came back, he was born in Maine and then went back to Italy and then he came back and I found that ship and found out that it was sunk in uh, 1942, but uh, that was what he came across on. It was, I don't know uh, what, what his portage was like or what his room <laughs> was like, but he came on. And it was in- interesting to go back and to find out the things about our family. Now, as we go into Advent, we're going to find out the things about Jesus' family, Rahab, Tamar, Uriah's wife, Ruth, and Mary. And as we think about these people, um, we need to maybe reframe how we think about some of the stories that we read in the Bible. I remember growing up and being in the children's cl- uh, classes in church, and there was always these heroes of the faith. David was a hero, Moses was a hero, Abraham was a hero, Samson was a hero, all of these. And we always focused on the good things they did, but then most of them had this kind of like side that we don't talk about until you get like 14 or 15 years old or maybe 20 years old. And then then we tell you, and now for the rest of the story, this is what their life was like. And as life moves on, we may discover that many of our heroes had fatal flaws, And God used them anyway because of his grace. You know, the real hero of the Old Testament is none of the people that I just mentioned. The real hero of the Old Testament is is God the Father. The hero of the New Testament is still God, and we encounter him through his son, Jesus Christ, as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came fully God, fully man, and lived among us to show us what God is like, to reveal the character of God. You know, God does not... uh, sanitize his story, 
But as we have history, it's right there in the Bible, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He doesn't rewrite his story, but this is what God does rewrite. He rewrites our stories by his grace. Aren't you thankful that he takes our stories and he rewrites them? And and as we look at these lives today, we see that we're going to find that there's nothing that we can do that will keep us from God's grace, from the power of his grace in our life to change our life. Rahab, who we're going to talk about today, is a trophy of grace. If you're filling in the notes, three uh, quick thoughts today. The first is that God's grace is greater than our grace. God's grace is greater than our grace. The grace that we find in the Bible extends to people that many of us, or if not all of us, may not find grace for in our lives. Now, as we look at the story, here's Joshua. He's Moses' successor, and he's preparing to enter the promised land. You know the story of Israel, and they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around, and Joshua chooses two anonymous spies, unnamed spies, he sends them to, to set out to, uh, to spy out the land, and they go to a house of a prostitute. Not a good way to start a Bible story, is it? <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with that? With your These two spies ended up at the home of a prostitute. This is not the typical Bible story. Some scholars have tried to sanitize Rahab, and they said, you know, she kind of had a, a bed and breakfast, or maybe, you know, she ran a day's inn or something like that. She was just an innkeeper. She had a hotel. That's what it was about. And in the Old Testament, it says the house of a prostitute. In the New Testament, it even confirms that that was her profession. Now, in Israel, if she would have been living on the other side of the Jordan, her profession would have been punishable by, by death. But now in Jericho, Jericho, probably in Canaan at the time, was kind of the Vegas of the day, okay? Anything goes, and we just, everybody knows there's no problem with it. Her house was built across a, span, a section of the walls there, a span of two walls probably at Jericho, and, and the king knew her and knew of her. Uh, we don't know how well he knew her, but he knew of her, and the travelers in Canaan knew her, her business and her business acumen, and they would stop there, and she had heard all these stories. She hadn't followed Israel for 40 years, but she had heard all these travelers who had come through her business to tell her about Israel and the great miracles that had happened. And unlike Bathsheba, who was seduced by King David for one night, Rahab had probably known innumerable men. Unlike Tamar, who was a one-time deceiver, Rahab's life was just filled with deception. And not only was she a prostitute, she and her family were probably like the rest of the Canaanites. They worshipped the rain gods, the fertility gods. They were very perverted in, in their lives and probably... And some of their ceremonies even involved human sacrifice. And when I think of all that, I ask myself the question, of all the people in Jericho, God, you could have spared. <laughs> why not find a young virgin somewhere? <laughs> not, why, why not find someone who's innocent, whose life hasn't been filled with all this stuff? Why would she be the one whose life is spared? For it wouldn't be that many weeks later that the children of Israel would walk around Jericho seven days, seven times on the seventh day, and the walls would come down, and there would be no one spared except for her and her family. With her sordid history, how could she ever fit into God's plan for a holy people, a separate people, a sanctified people? she She doesn't fit the mold. Why would God choose her? If I was making the choice, I would have tried to fit someone, find someone who'd been a better fit. 
for the 12 tribes. As a uh, young adult working with my dad, it was a, it was a man in our church who stood out to me as a, one of the model citizens of, of Eastern Assembly of God. His, his name was Bob Donathan. Bob was extremely committed believer. Bob was an intercessor when there were prayer meetings. He would be at church every time the doors were open for prayer. Bob ended up being a deacon at the church. He, my dad is a pastor. I would say Bob was one of my dad's greatest fan clubs. He was a number one supporter. And Bob is a 60-year-old, 70-year-old man. If you would tell us a story that had any emotion to it, Bob would have his handkerchief out. He'd be drying his eyes. He could cry at the drop of a hat. And every time there would be a missionary come through, every time there would be a special offering, you knew that Bob was going to be as generous as he could be. He was going to give in that offering. What most of the kids didn't know, most of the newcomers didn't know, that many years ago before that, Bob had left his wife with a young son after just a few years of marriage. And for nearly two decades, he lived without any regard for God at all. He knew about God, but he was far, far from God. Bob was a prodigal gone bad, gone really bad. But he had this wonderful wife that was filled with grace and with hope. Her name was Mildred, and she had a special grace for Bob. God had given Mildred a dream that Bob would go by a church that would have red front doors. He would stop, he would go in, and he would give his life back to God. And for years, a few ladies would meet with her for prayer at her home, and they would pray for for Bob. They didn't know where he was at, but they would pray for him. And there would be people who would come and and nurture her, her son and try to be the father, the dad figure in his life as he struggled with it. One day, Bob drove by my dad's church, which had red doors. (laughs) He stopped, and he went in that church. After years of never being in church, he was gloriously saved by God's grace, and Mildred took him back. It was a few years ago that I got to lead the funerals of Bob and Mildred. Their son shared with me some of the stories of his mom's pain and ultimately, decades later, of what it was like worshiping together with his mom and dad. You know, there were a few people in church that could sing Amazing Grace with the same understanding that Bob and Mildred sang. Mildred had grace for Bob that no one else could understand. She had God's grace, and he was the recipient of Mildred's grace and God's grace together. You know, God's grace is, goes beyond our comprehension, doesn't it? it? It causes us to do things we wouldn't normally do, causes us maybe to do things that people would look at us and say, why in the world would they still love that person? Why would they still have grace for them? The prophets and the kings of Israel wrote of God's generous grace. In your notes from Isaiah, Isaiah said, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will what? Forgive generously. You may want to underline those two words. He forgives generously. He forgives Rahab. He forgives whatever we have done. God's grace is generous towards us. The psalmist, does anyone who knew God's grace and being a man after God's own heart didn't mean that he was a man who never sinned. It meant he was a man who repented when he sinned. The psalmist said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of what? Your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. God is a God of great compassion. Why did God choose Rahab out of Jericho? 
I think one of the reasons he chose her is to remind us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one, regardless how much knowledge they have and how far they've gone, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Every year as we come to the splendor of Christmas, which will begin this, this Saturday, we'll be at the mall on Friday night at Nordstrom's and Macy's. So ladies, you can do some shopping and hear the choir, and then you can kind of say, honey, this, this is a religious act, and we'll go to the mall together for the spiritual time of uplifting. But each year... Um, my wife and I, were, we're inviting people, and there's, there's always some family members that we invite, and we invite, and we invite, and we invite, and quite often they don't come, and they don't come, and they don't come, and they don't come. But we have to have that hope that one day they will come. One day. We don't stop. We say, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Some of us struggle with things we've done in the past. Maybe there's a portion of life you hope No one ever discovers. No one ever knows about it. Here's the good news today. Jesus knows, and his grace is more than enough. He knows everything, and he still forgives us generously. Someone speaking about Jesus put it this way, described him this way, as the first person in history to reach out and voluntarily touch lepers didn't die of leprosy. He died at the hands of religious leaders who wouldn't have touched a leper on a bet. But that's the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God who would generously come down and be with us at Christmas. All through the year, he would come down and give his life so that we could have his grace in our lives. Not only is his grace greater than our grace, the second thought in your notes is God's grace is received and it's activated by faith. Someone told uh, the king of Jericho, there's some Israelites who've come to spy out the land and he wanted Rahab to, to give them up, to say, where are those spies? Give them to the king and, and to save your own life. But she, very much like some of the Germans who hid the Jews during the Holocaust, some others who have hidden people that, that, are, that are believers to spare their life, she's of that lineage. She took the men and she, she hid them and she said, no, they, they've gone another way. And then she said to these men, she said, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. You know, Rahab, in this uh, Paracopa story that we've already written from the text, she recounts the miracles that Israel has experienced for the last 40 plus years. She wasn't there, but she's heard the stories. I think it's kind of interesting to juxtapose that against 40 years earlier, there were 10 spies who firsthand knew the miracles, had come through on dry land, had seen the plagues in Egypt, understood all of that, and yet they were faithless. And so they said, we can't do this. But here is a a pagan woman who just heard the stories, but there was something inside of her something that, that came alive, that this, this must be true. She had this, this newfound faith, a faith that was based on a, a healthy fear of God. In fact, she feared the God of Israel more than she feared the, God, the king of Jericho. Let me say that again. She feared the God of Israel more than she feared the king of Jericho. She said, I'll hide the spies, but I want to be an Israelite. I want my life to be spared. Rahab's knowledge came from people who knew the stories better than she did. However, they walked without the fear of Israel. The stories of the men who had come by her 
her brothel, her, her bed and breakfast. The men who had come by and heard all those stories, they just, they just walked in fear, and they, did, they didn't respond. They didn't have faith that was activated, but she, she heard, and she had a healthy fear of God. But she also had a faith that God would spare her life and spare the lives of her family. Rahab acknowledged the fact that Israel's God was not a God who was made like the gods that she had experienced all of her life, the pagan gods made of human hands out of wood and stone and out of human concepts. She said, your God is the supreme God, the God above all gods, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Rahab's faith caused her to seek God and to expect his blessing. You know, when we, when we put our faith in God, there are Many people, maybe many of us, some here in the room, or maybe you would say, this, Pastor, this is my story in the past. You, came, you wanted to come to God, but you said, God, now if I come to you, there, what am I going to have to give up? Okay, I'm going to have to give up this. I'm going to have to give up that. And, uh, you know, I, I'll have to give up these things. And I don't know whether I want to really put my faith in you. I don't know if I want to take that step. You know, putting our faith in God requires us to give up faith in the things of this world. To say, God... I fully, totally trust you. You There are many people that are, maybe even church people, who are still holding on to hope that we'll be able to solve all the world's problems. This morning on the news they were showing that, uh, uh, where was it, on Mercury, they found ice. Cool, that's great, okay, that's going to save the universe. We're all going to live a thousand years. We're all going to figure all those things out. You know, that's wonderful to have scientists. It's wonderful to know all those things. But it's also wonderful to know that there is a creator and there was a, a Savior, and that there is an eternal plan for us, that our lives, like Rahab, can be spared. You know, social issues today have revealed many of the enemies of the Bible, as we have found the culture wars here in our great United States of America. We have many that have a fear that, that God would require them to live a different way. Well, if I take, well, let's not take it literally. Let's Let's try to change his word so that we can still have our lifestyle, so we can still live life our way. Rahab had to make a choice. She said, I can't be part of Canaan and part of Jericho and be spared by the God of Israel. And she knew that. And she made a decision for her identity to change. We either identify with the world or we identify with Jesus Christ. We identify with God. And so she made that right choice. You know, God's grace is not a license to live life without restraints. God's grace is the, I'll give you two words you may want to write down. God's grace, two simple words, is the ability and the desire to live according to God's purposes. It's the ability and it's the desire. As you become a believer, you want to please God. You want to do the things that honor Him and would bring joy and delight to our Heavenly Father. Those of you that are married, you want to have wonderful Christmas gifts for your spouse, right? You want, to, you want them to be delighted because it, it might be a long time between Christmas and New Year's if, <laughs> if you haven't bought the right gifts. Or for your children, you want, you want to see them excited. You, you want to please them. When you experience God's grace, you want to live life for Him. You want to please Him. It's the ability and the desire to live according to God's purpose. In Joshua chapter 2, Tells us the story how Rahab lets down the, the spies by the rope through her window, and she tells, she gives them instructions for hiding. And they told her before we, they, she, they left, we will be bound by the oath we have taken, only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. 
And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your relatives must be inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath. And she said, I accept your terms. And it says she left the, the scarlet rope that was hanging there. She left it there after they escaped into the hill country. Rahab helped them escape, but she was going to have her first test of her faith. And in in that the spy's word of her willingness to risk the life, her life, and the life of her family. What if she went to her family members and said, listen, when the Israelites come over, I, I need you to all gather in my house because I have, I've cut a deal with them. I have a bargain with them, and they're going to save all of us. What if one of her family members would have gone and told the king about the plan? What if they would have told someone else in confidence or would have told someone else and told someone else and gotten on the telephone or email or put it on Facebook that Rahab has a pact with the Israelites? Her life would be over. But with her limited, what I like, her, her very limited kind of naive knowledge of God, in spite of that, she had great faith. She was risking her life. She said, there's got to be something more something better, something greater than what I'm living now. And in her limited knowledge of God, she was a witness. She said to her mother and to her father, to her brothers and sisters, to her family members, these Israelites, they know the real God. I I met two of their men. I've known the stories. Come on, folks, let's, let's add it together. Two plus two. Yes, they know the real God. And if you will stay with me, and if we'll activate our faith together, we'll have a new identity We'll have a new team. We, this is, this is a, dramatic, a dramatic change in her life. This is like a Steeler fan rooting for the Ravens this Sunday. I mean, this is, this is like a 180. This is just totally the other way around. She says, listen, these people, they're, they're the winning team. And so I'm going to pick the Ravens. I mean, I'm going to pick the Israelites. I, I'm going I'm to be with them. And she left this scored hanging from her window. I wonder how many people saw it. I wonder how many people walked by, they saw that red rope hanging, they had, they had no clue what it was about. They didn't understand that there was salvation there. They didn't understand what was going to happen. But the scarlet cord could have also been her demise. Someone could have put two and two together and said, what is that there for? And they could have found out the story and that red cord could have been the very thing that they, they hung her with and took her life, but it ended up being this thing that saved her life. Rahab said yes to God's grace. She activated her faith. She risked everything. And then she received God's blessing. Third point in your notes is God's grace always lifts us to true greatness. God's grace always brings us into the story and and takes our story and makes it greater than it ever would have been without God in our life. The best part of the story here is that Rahab's destiny was changed forever. Let me give you, give you some ways that her life was changed. You may want to write some of these down, just some, some brief thoughts. First blessing I see, the first uh, way that she became great, is she became an Israelite. She became one of God's people. She became one of the chosen. She was what we would call proselytized. She, she changed her faith and became an Israelite. Later on in the book of Joshua, we read these words, So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in her house, because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho, and she, lives, and, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Not 
right now, but to the day of this writing, okay? She lives among the Israelites. She became one of the favorite of God, God's chosen people who had a relationship. And so she would have access to the priest, access to worshiping the one and the only God. The second blessing is she left her profession and married one of Israel's finest men. She was there. All of the things in her past, God's grace was able to wipe out. And in Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we read Salmon was the father of Boaz. He was not a fish. This is a man's name. Okay, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the follower, father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And the lineage goes on until we reach Jesus Christ. She was now, all of the relational longings she had had in her life, all of the brokenness, all of the heartache, all of the dysfunctionality she had had in her life because of God's grace. Now she had a commitment to one man who ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. His name, Salmon, means to cover, to cover. It's a reminder that God's grace completely covers us. So his name means uh, like you would take a garment and cover someone with a garment or with a blanket. She was covered by God's grace. The third blessing I see is that she was the grandmother of some great people. She was uh, the greatest kings of, of Israel. She was King David's great-great-grandmother and Solomon's great-great-great-grandmother. And her progeny includes eight priests and prophets, including the prophet Jeremiah. All part, all had her DNA because of God's grace in her life. The fourth blessing I see is that she was the great-great-great, and you can keep adding a number of greats, grandmother of Jesus Christ. She was in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and she was one of the few ladies that's listed there in Matthew as they go and line out those who were the uh, predecessors of Jesus Christ. And then this next blessing is, is one that I think is, as you understand Bible and as you, uh, as you understand the culture of the day, really makes a, a huge impact on who she is and her act of faith. Blessing number five is that she was listed as one of the great heroes of faith. In the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is like the, the baseball hall of fame, the NFL hall of fame, the ice hockey, the basketball. Oh, it was, you could take all of those and put those together and they would be in maybe one little corner of God's hall of fame. And Hebrews 11 is a walk, a, a verbal walk through the hall of fame. And in Hebrews 11:31, the writer says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She was listed among all of the great men, among Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses, to name a few. She was one that was listed there from her background to make it there. Talk about a person who had a dramatic change in her life. How could you have something even more dramatic than that? James chapter 2 and verse 25 James wrote, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. See, it wasn't just that she believed, oh, you, you worship the supreme God and I believe he did miracles. She had faith and she did something about it. There are a lot of people in America, a lot of people around the world who have heard the story of Jesus Christ go to Christmas Eve services, go to Mass, 
go, go and just say, okay, we, we know the story, but they've never turned and gone another way. They, there's, no, there's no difference in their life because their faith hasn't been activated. But if they would allow their faith to be activated, they'd be able to walk in, in blessing of seeing their family and their children and seeing their friends and maybe many come to faith because of them being a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Rahab is a trophy of God's grace. I'm thankful for my family, and you saw the, uh, the slides earlier that of uh, them coming to this country. It was around 1940 in Utica, New York, that there was someone who shared the, the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The family had had, uh, had religion and had known of God, but didn't have a relationship, but they ran into someone who shared the love and the story of Jesus Christ with this Italian family that was destitute, didn't have any food in their, on their shelves, nothing to eat, but gave them some food and told them about Jesus. And their faith was activated, and they put their trust in him. And so because of that, my family, cousins, uncles, aunts, just, just an enormous legacy of God's grace in our lives because of one person's decision to be a witness and someone else's decision to say, I receive it by faith, and my life will be changed. There's a story about a little girl who had a large collection of dolls of every description. It was obvious that her dolls brought her much pleasure. A visitor asked her which doll was her favorite doll. And she said, just a minute. She rushed into another room, and she returned back with a doll that would have been rejected by the goodwill. How many of you know that's going to be a pretty bad doll? One of the eyes was hanging off. The cloth hair was hanging by a single thread. The dress was worn and dirty, and one shoe was missing. The visitor was surprised and said, why do you love this doll so much? The little girl answered shyly, because if I didn't, nobody else would. Rahab, she was dirty, stained by the world in her own sinfulness, but God loved her anyway. Isn't that the way our God loves? He loves us anyway. He takes us the way we are when we're broken, when we're stained, when we're sinful, when other people wouldn't even be the one that we would choice, they choose, they wouldn't be the one that you would choose for your team. He loves us and he uses us anyway because his grace is greater than our sins. His grace is greater than our own grace and as it's activated by our faith, he lifts us to true greatness. Would you bow your heads with me as we think about the story of Rahab and think about Jesus coming. We remember that he came not to just nobility, but he came and allowed the shepherds to be among the first to see him, the commoners of the land. Of course, the, the kings from the, the Orient came, and they understood who he was also. But most importantly, he came for you, and he came for me. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you as I pray in this moment to say, Jesus, I'm going to make the decision that Rahab made over 2,000 years ago. I'm going to put my faith in the supreme God in you, his son, Jesus Christ. Would you forgive me of my stains? Would you, would you, God, forgive me of my lack of trusting you to forgive me? I think sometimes we look at God and we say, we don't even see how he could do it. Maybe we grew up in a Christian family, grew up knowing all the right things and made some horrible decisions. And we have some major regrets and we think, boy, how can God forgive me now? We serve a God who sent his son to the cross to give his life 
for every sin, for every sinner, to save us, to spare us, and to offer us true greatness, which is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, as we pause to pray, I pray for those among us who this very moment are saying, Jesus, I, I give my life back to you. Jesus, I'm, maybe I've doubted that you could love me. I've, maybe I've convinced myself otherwise, but today as I've heard your word and your faith is alive, I'm activating that faith and I'm going to walk out of this building changed by your grace, expecting you to use me in wonderful ways for your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would give each one of us the spiritual fortitude to, to make the right choices in life, to not be deceived by the world, and not to think we're beneath being part of your story. You love us, and you have great plans for us. Father, we thank you, and we honor you.